On Hokey Talk today, Dr. Buddy Howell, a.k.a. Dr. Howdy. Dr. Howdy is a winner of the University Sport and Teaching Award for Excellence in 2020. He is renowned by many past and present students at Virginia Tech for being a highly energetic and friendly professor. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Howell. My pleasure. And joining me today, co-hosting, is Luke Church, a junior majoring in advertising. Luke, thanks also for being here. Thank you for having me on. Uh, so, Dr. Howdy, can you tell us a bit about Buddy Howell? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for the opportunity to uh, to participate in the podcast, Hokey Talk. I was not familiar with it before uh, Luke told me about it, and um, I appreciate the, uh, the honor and the privilege of getting to, to talk to you all. Um, well, who is Buddy Howell? I guess, first of all, uh, I would say probably the most important thing about me is that I'm a Christian. Uh, secondly, I'm a dad, and then probably... Um, a friend, a teacher, an instructor. Um, and I've been here almost 14 years, and uh, I love what I teach and, and who I teach. Can you tell us about like your teaching style and uh, the evolution of it of maybe over the 14 <laughs> years? And Yeah, well, I guess it probably depends on who you ask, <laughs> teaching style, right? <laughs> Is that really what he's doing, teaching? Um, no, I... I, I try to, uh, as a Christian, I try to treat people the way I would want to be treated. And so that affects, obviously, the way I do my job. And uh, I approach it from the standpoint of answering the question, what kind of professor would I want? <clears throat> Part of that is I got to practice what I preach. If I'm a communication professor, I better do a good job of communicating <laughs> in the classroom, yeah. right? But what I mean uh, by treating you know people the way I would want to be treated, do I want a professor who really uh, comes to class prepared, not just because they're knowledgeable, but they come prepared to try to get me to uh, engage with the material, right? They don't want me to just sit here and take notes for 75 minutes, but they want me to think, they want me to learn, they want me to talk, they want me to participate. Um, do I want a professor who just sort of sees me as another number, a face, you know, on the Hokie Spa roster, um, another grade line in the grade book? Or do I want a professor who tries to learn my name, um, who's approachable, who says, I, I care about you as a student and, uh, and as a human being? Um, and do they, do they sort of come to the class um, thinking about it from the standpoint of what can I do to be engaging? What can I do to, um, I mean, I, I, for me, I, I would think that I, I sort of assume that students bring a certain amount of motivation, right? Yeah. You're in the class and you're in college because you want to learn, yeah. right? Um, what can I do to, to uh, keep the fire burning in that motivation? What can I avoid doing so that yeah. I don't demotivate you and say, yeah. this is boring or this is, right? How can I make it relevant? Uh, and then just, just be engaging. I mean, get tell people, which is one of the reasons I do howdy at the beginning of class, right? <laughs> it sends the message that, well, it's an exciting way to open, right? Especially How's like this howdy. <laughs> and so when you have 280 in a class and the majority of them say that back to you, that just resonates, you know, and I think it creates a certain amount of, of energy. Yeah. Um, so I do howdy and then I'll ask for announcements and then I'll ask for birthdays, engagements, something that happened, you know, over spring break that you want to celebrate. Why do I do that? Well, um, because you'll have the occasional student like we did this semester who I think she said four years cancer-free or something. I believe I it, the many. day she said it, it was a one-year cancer-free and everyone, yeah. went, everyone went nuts. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah, everybody was hooting and hollering and, and, and clapping for her. And that changes the dynamic of the, the feel, you know, the culture of the, of the classroom. Or when we have somebody come down and we sing uh, happy birthday, 
to them, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you're probably not going to have that experience in most classes. But because it's a large class, uh, it, it changes the dynamic. Uh, it, it says, I, I'm, I'm not here for y'all to sit and listen, and this is going to be one-way communication, right? From yeah. They call it the sage on the stage. You know, I know all this information, and y'all don't know anything. And I'm just here to fill your you know, little minds of, full of mush with important information. It says, I want you to talk to me, so if I can get you screaming howdy at the beginning of class, if I can get you telling me it's your friend's birthday, making announcements for a big event or, you know, whatever it is, um, it's dialogue. And I think it makes people a little more comfortable willing to um, to talk in class. And that, that's what I want. I think that's what good professors would want, um, engagement and yeah. not just uh, lecture. And I think a lot of um, a lot of your students, speaking as one of your students myself, a lot a lot of your students would agree that you do leave an imprint on them, and you do stand out among well, other you. professors. Well, I think that you. is something worth mentioning. And I, I also wanted that. to ask you, um, what specifically makes you the most passionate about teaching? <laughs> well, I think again, it's going to go back to to my faith as a Christian, how I look at, at human beings. Um, I think we can we can focus too much on viewing you sort of. Uh, in a utilitarian uh, perspective, that is to say, like uh, uh, your economic utility. We, we hear that from our parents, and it's important to get a good education so you can get a good job. But if that's all you're here for is for me to sort of train you to be this economic outputter, right, once you graduate, uh, I know that we don't necessarily look at it that way. You, you, you find something that hopefully that you're passionate about studying and you get equipped to go out and to make a living. But I think there should be more to college than really um, just am I, am I getting a good education so I can get a good job? And that comes back to, I think, asking big questions, right? Uh, and that can be anything from uh, what is truth, right? Uh, is, it, is it relative? Is it small t? Or is it, are there absolute truths? And those are big questions that can approach the way or influence the way you approach life right so for me I think of um, what is what is a human being um, uh, a human being is someone that is uh, special that was created in the image of God that is to say we we think we feel and we uh, are moral agents we get to make choices in life right sometimes those choices are good sometimes they're bad but I'm not taking anything away from the agricultural uh, folks. It's important that they work with cows and horses and all that, but I'm thankful to get to work with human beings, right? <laughs> and so when I think about what, I'm, what, what, what that means I'm getting to do, I'm, I'm getting to work with people who are created in the image of God, so they're going to get you know, that respect, that, that dignity. Um, it's a privilege. A lot of people can do what I do, and a lot of them can do it better, right? But I think when I approach it the way I do, um, students know that I really care about them, right? Yeah. I care about you learning. I care about how, how well you do on an exam, but I, I care about who you are as a human being and how you're developing um, the sorts of questions you're asking in life and the things you're, you're coming up with uh, in terms of answers because those can shape the, the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And so what does it mean uh, at the essence of, of being human? Well, to communicate, right? How do we learn to think? Well, let's change that word. It's not thinking, it's inner talk. Right? How do we learn to talk to ourselves? We're not used to saying it that way. Yeah. But when you're thinking, you're thinking in language and you're having a conversation with yourself. Well, where does that come from? Right? Um, it comes from people throughout your life that have communicated with you. 
And so as you're thinking about what does it mean to think, what does it mean to be a human being, what is the essence of, of living in relationship with other people, um, it is to, to be able to communicate. And so as a professor of communication, I hope I'm doing more than just teaching theories about communication. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching you how to live in relationship to other people, how to appreciate the fact that somebody or a bunch of somebodies along the way talked to us and read to us and taught us and gave us the ability to think critically and how can we continue to uh, develop those critical thinking skills because then those can help us not only get a good education and get a good job, but Again, critical thinking, asking bigger questions about life. What is the good life? What is the best life to live? What, what, you know, what, um, at the end of my life, when I look back, what am I going to say I lived a, a good life? Um, some of those questions are philosophical, but like the class on the Enlightenment, right? Mm -hmm. What can science do? We live in an age of um, where we look to science for truth and answers, right? But there's so many things that, there, there are so many things that science can answer. But there are so many things that science can't, right? Uh, ethics and morality and lit religion mm -hmm. and, and the arts and, and all of those things. And so I enjoy being a part of that liberal arts tradition and trying to work in history and philosophy and, and communication. And hopefully you don't just come away learning a new calm theory. I, I yeah. would feel like I failed as a professor if that's uh -huh. it. You, you come away with the knowledge of the theory and then you look at life differently. You look at relationships differently, nonverbal communication, intrapersonal, interpret. You think about the relationships you're in and, and how can you help those grow closer and deeper or understand why maybe some of those relationships came apart. That's what life is. And it's a privilege to get to, to teach students about that, especially Hokies. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that comes down to, tell me if I'm wrong, but coming down to, like, like you were saying, thinking with yourself or talking with yourself in your own head and yeah. thinking in that sense. Uh, we talk to ourselves more than anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> it's important to think about what we're saying to ourselves. Oh, and, yeah. And um, it's, also, it's also really interesting because a lot of the students, I believe, it's the first time in their lives they've really actually objectively thought about their morality, what their values are when they're coming yeah. off to college and yeah. when they're you know turning 18 and the four years that they're here and they've never been exposed to these ideas before. So it might yeah. be, it's definitely something that helps a lot of people. Well, Very thank true. you. I appreciate that. As honestly, it's not not as emphasized as I feel like it, it could and should be. I feel like a lot of people kind of struggle to, to find like direction in that sense as to like where yeah. um, they could realize that thinking with your not think talking to yourself is an actually very important thing. Um, yeah. One cool thing I also wanted to say about your class, I haven't been able to sit in on it, but it does sound like you do a great job at building a sense of community in the class, especially in a big class. I feel like that's harder than a small yeah. class, but in a big class um, with the howdies and the birthdays and sharing this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's something really, really important that Thank makes you. people want to come to class too, I'm sure. Like, people have a lot of motivation at the start of the semester. I feel like yeah. you've probably seen all the time. <laughs> They'll come yeah. in at the very start and then afterwards it kind of like goes down. But well, especially in the spring when it's winter yeah. and then the weather's <laughs> <laughs> and they're out throwing the frisbee on the drill field or got the hammock and they're taking a nap on the drill field. Yeah, you have to be... Um, that's why I like the challenge of teaching the large uh, class because it's easier to engage, you know, 12 or 20. Yeah. But it's more difficult to try to make people feel in a class of 280 like it's a, it's a small class. Um, so it's a challenge, and I like the challenge. Do you feel, yeah. like, do you feel like it's changed over, over the years of teaching? Like, I'm sure you've changed some of the, yeah. the approaches you've made. Um, yeah. How have you felt that, like, students have adapted to those changes you've made? Well, I, I, I'm biased in my own favor, right? But I, I think because I'm trying to respond to them, right? Um, so, for instance, <laughs> uh, 
I was so glad when I first got to teach a large lecture class at Texas A&M as a doctoral student, it was 125, right? And uh, probably the mistake I made was I talked too much. I was so much I wanted to share. <laughs> you know, I was so excited about the material. Yeah. But uh, I saw this one day, and it, I think it sort of encapsulates the way I have changed. Um, it was over in, I think, Randolph, and it was on one of the court board advertisement boards. I think it was for maybe like a study abroad program or something. I don't know. It said, good teachers know their content, but great teachers know their students. And that really had an impact on me because I thought, yeah, you don't want to just stand there and uh, give them information, right? As much as I love what I teach, I need to love who I teach. And that, that gets at this idea of, you know, caring about them as a human being, that this stuff's more important than just a class or an exam and it's relevant to your lives. Um, and so I've tried to be more uh, engaging, right? Uh, it, it, it's easy to ask for uh, an instructor to ask a question. Mm-hmm. But if it's not a good question, you're not going to get discussion, right? People yeah. are going to look at you like, what? Uh, and it doesn't always work. I had a student drop my class, 1014, one time because he said, um, uh, he asked a question. This is I heard from a friend of his who took the class and liked it. He said he asked me a question and I responded with a question like the Socratic method, uh-huh. and he didn't like that, so he dropped the class. Um, <laughs> so, you know, yeah, there's no one technique. It's a that, small thing, I feel like. Yeah, everybody's going to. Well, you know, but when you think about it, it's sort of like what we've trained you to do, especially with the no child left behind, and, and you know, we've got to prepare you for SOL tests, and you take the SOL tests, and then we get our accreditation or whatever it is. We haven't necessarily trained you. Most well, there are some, but I mean, most people wouldn't question a professor. It's like the professor has a PhD. The professor, you know, the te- people wrote the textbook, and I'm just here's a little sponge, and I'm supposed to sort of soak it up. I can't think about it and say, "But well, you know, what about from this perspective?" What, you know, I, I don't know if I disagree with that. Well, that's good. Tell me more. Give me an example, or whatever it is. I think that's that's also an important part of learning. Uh, some students don't like to be called on in classes. I've tried to do it a lot more, but I think it starts with. The people who start talking in a class, especially in a large class, learn their names. Mm-hmm. And so if they raise their hand, you can say, Luke. Sometimes it freaks them out because I went back to Hokey Spa and I just I found their picture because students can talk. You know, <laughs> so, and so then they're like, how does he know my name? I've had students stop me on the way out of class and they're like, I didn't know, I didn't know you knew my name. Thanks for learning my name. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Um, because that's another way of saying I don't want you to feel like you're just another face. you know. And he's like raising his hand, I have to go, yeah, in the in the, or, in the orange uh, hoodie, right? That's awesome. Other people do like being called on, though, and so it's it's trying to figure out what what people are comfortable with and you know, what makes them uncomfortable, but realizing that um, I can teach you something and then you can think of an example and I can call on you and say, Aziz, what do you think? Have you ever had like this experience in your life? And you say, Yeah. Now I'm thinking about it differently because that means you're doing more than just collecting information. You're processing thinking about it. If you're just collecting, right, you'll walk out of class and not remember anything that you took notes on. But if you can stop and think about it or come up with your own example, or, you know, Luke comes up with an example and you write that down, yeah. well, instead of me giving five examples, but the audience gives some examples. People are thinking during so, class as opposed to just kind of listening and yeah. zoning out, which can happen a lot, I'm sure, with a lot of students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, in that vein, a little bit, is there any advice you have for students in general? <laughs> well, I sort of think about what I would do differently if I could be an undergrad again, right? Um, 
don't don't do what I did at least uh, first off, right? I mean, I, I was I was a transfer student, so I went to community college, transferred to uh, Baylor, and it was in the middle of the year, so it was January. My roommate had already made friends with everybody during the fall semester, and I was afraid I was not smart enough to to, to make it in college. So all I did was study. I had my routine: get up, go to the cafeteria, eat, go to class, go back to the dorm room. <laughs> go to my afternoon class or whatever it was. And I had my Monday, Wednesday, Friday routine and my Tuesday, Thursday routine. And I didn't make relationships with a lot of people because I'm extremely shy. I mean, people don't believe that. <laughs> but put me in front of an audience and there's a performative element. It's a challenge. I want to get them engaged. But mm. interpersonally, meeting somebody for the first time, I can be very shy and, and awkward. Open mouth and insert foot. But uh, the point is, get to know people. Get to know people. You'd be surprised how many people sit in a, a large class and they don't even know the names of <laughs> the people next to them. Right? <laughs> yeah. get, get to know them. Yeah. Make relationships. It helps because you can get notes when, when somebody's absent. But years ago, Jesse, a guy named Jesse, uh, came to me, and he was moving towards graduation in May. It was probably about this time in the semester. And, and he asked me, you know, what's what's your big – What's the big takeaway I should, you know, what's the profound thing you think I should remember when I graduate? And I said, relationships and people, people you made relationships with. Yeah. And Jesse was sad. And I felt bad because I made him sad. And he said, you know, looking back, I feel like maybe I, I didn't. And here I am about to graduate and I'm wondering if I, if I missed out on an important part of my undergraduate experience. So, get, you know, get to know people and people who agree with you, but people who disagree with you and let your ideas be, be challenged. Um, um, build relationships with, with people, but also with faculty. Get to know your faculty. The, the better they get to know you, the better recommendation letter they can write or help you learn and succeed in college, and not just in, in my classes. Um, but ask big questions, right? I mean, we know that two plus two is four, but why? I mean, we live in a universe that we were told uh, began by an explosion. But why is it so orderly that we can you know, project 100 or 1,000 years out lunar eclipses? Yeah. Right? Solar eclipses. I mean, the, the universe seems to be very ordered and yeah. orderly. And uh, ask the questions that science can't answer, you know? And, and this is a, a wonderful opportunity to do that. Why am I here? Um, what is the good life? What 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 are, what is my morality? What do I believe in? And what's my destiny? Where, you know, after all this is over, where am I going to go? And you you may not find the answers to those questions in any class. Yeah. Right. But before you go out and start your career, it's important to nail some of those things down. Right. I left my job to go back and get my master's when I had sort of a crisis of. Uh, um, Maybe it wasn't crisis of conscience is not the best way to put it, but I had worked my way up to the assistant to the president of this company in Houston. We had offices in Greenville, South Carolina, and um, the the CFO of the company had come to me and, and he said, you know, it, you take a lifetime to build a reputation, but it only takes one decision to destroy that reputation. So be careful what, you know, the president asks you to do. Be careful what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, later that day, I was in his office, and he took a phone call that he'd been avoiding from a client, and he, he, he said, you know, I'm sorry that I haven't called you back, but I've been out of town. My mother passed away, and um, as you can imagine, you know, all the things that we were doing. Well, his mother was just as alive as you and me. Oh, man. Right? And that was when I realized, you know, I had to ask the question, what do I, what do I stand for? I can stay here at the company and make a lot of money 
In fact, when I turned in my resignation, he, he called me and said, how much you want? Wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. He thought it because that was his thinking. He thought it was all about money. Yeah. And I just said, no, I'm, I'm, I can't do it. I'm like, I'm going to go back and get my master's degree. Wow. So That's you got to find out what you stand for, right? And, and now's a good time to, to do it because there are a lot of different people to talk to. Do you feel that was one decision that kind of could have like, uh, like the one decision that could have, you're saying, like destroy your reputation almost? Yeah. He later got sued and that company is no longer in business. Wow. So <laughs> wow. I made the right decision. And that really changed the trajectory because, see, I went back to get my master's degree thinking I wanted to be a political speechwriter. Then I went to get my PhD. It was when I first sat down with my committee. They said, well, if you want to be a presidential speechwriter, you're probably in the wrong doctoral program because you need to go to an applied program that teaches you, you know, writing. A lot of journalists are hired as speechwriters because they're writing for the president because they know how journalists listen to the speeches, what they're mm -hmm. listening for and sound bites mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But I quickly realized, um, you know, if you're writing for the president, first of all, he may turn out to be a crook and then, you know, you just got hooked up with the wrong person. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is if, you know, my twins are having their fifth birthday party on a Saturday and the chief of staff calls and said, we, you know, we changed the president's schedule and he's speaking at the Chamber of Commerce in Indianapolis, Indiana on Wednesday and he needs a speech. You can't say... Dude, you gotta wait. I'm having my, you know, my kid's yeah. birthday. You have to go write the speech. And so I said, no, family's more important. But you think about the decisions that you made along the way that changed, you know, the trajectory. When I was working on my master's degree at Baylor in residence life, I was an advisor to two student organizations, and I had done professional development and training, so I knew I liked to teach. But it was working with students. Then when I realized, okay, I'm not going to be a presidential speechwriter. What am I going to do? I love working with students, and I love teaching. It wasn't this clear path. You know, I didn't come out of the womb saying, I'm yeah. going to get a Ph.D. and teach at a research one institution. <laughs> it was kind of like process of elimination backwards in through the back door, the outdoor, whatever. And, but just getting to, to know students and, and to love students and the, the privilege of getting to be a part of their, their lives, right? Yeah. Letters of recommendation for law school, grad school. I mean, that's the, it's a privilege to get to do that. So That is an awesome perspective on your whole story. Well, thank you. I appreciate it's it. It's great. That is very cool. I agree. Um, I feel like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's obviously scary going into the world, like not knowing. Um, it does seem like a lot of people have their whole path figured out. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it'll change for a lot of people too. But um, I think having good, good morals. I guess yeah. will will lead you the right way. Yeah, I was just seeing it work. It worked for you, kind you of. Gotta have, yeah, you gotta you gotta have want. A, a good grounding. Yeah, I like to ask students sometime in the smaller class a discussion. What would you not do for the right price? Hmm. Would you not do for the right price? So if I offered you a billion dollars, yeah. would you kill someone? Yeah. Would you destroy their marriage? Would you destroy their reputation? Yeah. And then when you start answering that with that no amount of money could get me to do that, now yeah. you're starting to learn what your values are, right? Wow. Because you say, no, you, you couldn't. So there's this value that I have. You can't separate me in that value. No amount of money could get me to violate this because then I couldn't live with myself. And, and you have proof to back up that that's the viable way to go about it, just sticking to your morals, because yeah. that is awesome. I feel like there aren't enough, or enough emphasis on, like, philosophical-type classes or, like, ideas here. Because yeah. a, a huge, and I don't know if you feel it too, Luke, but a huge feeling I think a lot of students have is that, quote-unquote, this is an exaggeration, but I, I didn't learn much in college at all. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't learn anything through... Like, even through relationships, through right. experiences, a bit through classes, but a lot of this stuff 
for a lot of classes can be in one year and out the other so yeah um but i think like asking yourself questions like that is is something that you can really learn from yeah and i think getting to know faculty so you can have coffee with them and and have those conversations i've had uh, i had a student who's a buddhist one time he came and we talked about buddhism and christianity right and uh neither one of us changed our views but it was a a very i learned a lot more about buddhism than i ever (laughs) knew right and learned learned why he didn't you know why he was a buddhist and, and and not a christian and so that's okay. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know why we're sort of afraid to have those conversations. I mean, I know we're all shy, a lot of us, right? I know my kids are, um, but we also, I think, seem to tend to gravitate to people who are like us, who have the same views. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, but just try to you know meet some people that have different views because you never know what you're going to learn. I may become more um, uh, confident of my own views. Uh, I may just become more aware of other views, but sometimes I may change my views, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm getting educated, right? It's like yeah. studying abroad. You go abroad, and you're yeah. just like, wow, I've lived a very small life because in Europe, you know, they speak three languages or something. <laughs> you're like, I speak American. I can't say I speak, <laughs> speak English because I have a friend from Britain. He's like, no, we, no, we British, we speak English. Y'all speak American. Yeah. Um, and uh, at the very least, like you said, being more knowledgeable about a certain topic can come very, can come in handy later yeah. on very yeah. often. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, so if you, if you are having a conversation with someone about religion or politics or whatever, I mean, we're, we're all, I'm still learning, right? That's why I still read and, and try to learn about different stances that people have on, on issues. And that can be, you know, why people think it was good to get rid of Ezekiel Elliott. Still not sure <laughs> how I feel about that, but whether it's sports and getting different perspectives, because none of us has the godlike view. We don't know everything objectively, and so as I listen to somebody who's more expert at you know critical analysis of uh, trades and budgets and, and all that, I go, oh, you know, that's yeah, that's interesting. Well, then I can have a conversation with somebody in an elevator or at a you know a business function or whatever about sports or religion or philosophy or you know. Um, it, it makes you a good conversationalist, but I think it also gives you a, a better perspective on life. The old question is, should plumbers read Plato? Um, <laughs> most people would say no, because it doesn't have anything to do with what? With plumbing? With the plumbing, profession, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but uh, if you're a plumber, are you going to have to know how to uh, interact with people? Yes. Are you going to have to be a critical thinker and a problem solver? Yes. Do you think there's a higher calling than just fixing the drain or whatever, right? Is there, <laughs> is there some other purpose that you're serving greater than yourself, right? And then I think that can give you a sense of, of, of job satisfaction. How right? do you, how do you, I don't know if it's a loaded question, but how do you like get people to not be afraid to have conversations with people they disagree with? Because I feel like that's a, that's a big thing that stops people a lot of times. It's just like yeah. not wanting to hear what yeah. they don't want to hear. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think it, it starts with each of us, right? Like I've got to be willing to um, model what I say others, you know, I think it's have been. I mean, I had a Southern Baptist preacher years ago, of all things, tell me, you should never read a book that you're going to agree with everything in it except the Bible. Like, why? Why wouldn't I just want to read stuff that tells me I'm right? You know, my views on this issue are right. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Yeah. Because um, for, for many issues, there are a lot of other perspectives. And any political issue, what do we do about immigration, legal and illegal? Well, think of all the views that are out there, right? Um, 
So I've got to model it, and the way I do it in class, particularly my media and politics class, which can be, which can be a very uh, hairy sort of experience <laughs> when you're talking about media and politics, um, I tell them early on, look, if you look at the, the, the exams, their objective, and you'll have the group project, people feel more comfortable doing a, a group project because if I miss something, you know, Luke can help pick up <laughs> or whatever. We, we, sure. You know, all these heads together will come up with a good project. So I tell them, um, this is a class on media and politics, and there are a lot of different perspectives to issues uh, on politics and media. People like Fox, people like CNN, and they hate the opposite or whatever. But I tell them right up front, you know, you're, uh, I, I hope you disagree with me. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want to walk around and have every student tell, oh, you're right, you're right, buddy, yeah, you're right. But I'm like, nah. And disagreeing with me um, is not going to hurt your grade, right? I'm not going to check my views at the door, and you don't have to check your views at the door. As long as you're respectful to other people and don't attack somebody else in the class, and as long as you can make a good argument and not just say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, because a pair of lips can say anything, mm -hmm. and anybody can say that's stupid, right? Yeah. Tell, tell me why you disagree with it. Give me a counter-argument. Give me a better argument. And uh, at first, sometimes students are, are, are wary to do that, um, but I think once they really do realize, oh, it's, it's okay if I, yeah, it's okay if you disagree with me, right? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't it be? And I think we give you all the, the perception that, again, you don't really know anything. And if you do, you're probably wrong. And so you just need, <laughs> you just need to listen to me. I'm right about everything, right? I have a PhD. I tell them it just means I've been a student more times than you. Three times, master's and PhD, and I got more papers to hang on the wall. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like our parents. They've been through life, and they know a lot more. So as a kid, education may know a lot more, but you don't know everything. I don't know your life experience. I don't know your perspective on any number of things I could ask you all about, right? And so I think it's, easy, it's interesting to get those perspectives, even if we, we disagree. Yeah. And it seems like everyone, not everyone, but it seems like most people just have whatever reasons for just not engaging in discussion with people that clearly disagree with them and people are just afraid to do it. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's very, it's very important to know those things. Yeah. There's an organization, I forget what it's, I think it's called intelligent conversations or something like that, where they, they, you can connect through the website with people like somebody in Saudi Arabia right? oh, wow. or Iberia or wherever and, uh, and, and have interesting conversations, but they sort of promote that, that sort of thing on camp, uh, campuses where you're, you're looking for somebody that you don't know anything about their culture, you know, their background, their religion, whatever. And you're spending a lot of time asking a lot of questions. We, we can all ask questions. Right, I may feel comfortable disagreeing with somebody, but I can ask you questions. You can tell me about who you are and your background, and then you can ask me questions. Right, kind of like an interview, but it's it's conversational. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what we may find is that we have some things in common. Well, there you go. Right, whatever it is, a love of some food or sport or you know, but. I think we get it wrong in higher education when we say, you know, diversity is sort of the end that we're aiming for. I think diversity is a good means to an end. But if that's all we ever do is focus on how we're different, 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 then we're going to end up just creating divisions. Because inevitably, think we do it playfully in sports, right? Like Dallas Cowboys, they're the best. Yeah. <laughs> I have my team and you have your team and my team's better than your team. My quarterback's better than your quarterback or our school's better than your school. Um, I think it's it's true of human nature that we want some sort of superiority, 
Right. I have a better argument than you, or I got a better grade than you. We, we not necessarily naturally competitive, but we all think we're right, and especially when we think others are wrong. And so, if it's just division, 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 then eventually, you know, between those divisions, we're going to have superiority over that other, over them. Yeah. Right. We can have diversity without division, and we can have unity without uniformity. Great minds don't always think alike. There's an organization called the Heterodox Academy, and that's their view. Great minds don't always think alike. Everybody doesn't have to think alike on a college campus. And you can disagree without being disagreeable. But uh, today we seem to think if, and that's how a lot of people have responded. Well, if I'm outraged, I must be right. Oh, for sure. For sure. That doesn't mean you're right. It just means you're outraged, right? And just because you can feel angry doesn't mean that you can make an intelligent, cogent argument for why you believe what you believe. But we're so worried that someone's going to get in our face about something we've disagreed with them yeah. on that we're afraid to disagree. Students all the time, you know, come after class. You know, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about so I was That's great, Luke. Why didn't you bring that up in class? Well, I don't want to make anybody mad, you know, or something. <laughs> like, if that's the best they can do is get mad, that's not your problem, Right. That, that's their problem. Um, outrage doesn't make me right. <laughs> it yep. just means that I'm outraged. Do you think getting mad or outrage is justifiable? I, I think it can be at times, right? There are things that we should all, but there's the thing, we should all be um, sort of outraged about injustices, right? Um, we, we should be outraged about uh, when fellow citizens are not treated um the way they should be in terms of justice and law. That doesn't mean that, you know, ACAB, I think, is the way the thing goes. All cops are yeah. bad. Yeah. We'll use that word. Um, but it does mean that uh, we need to sort of push for reforms. But that outrage has to be channeled or it's going to end up in, in greater destruction. It's going to end up, if it doesn't heal, right? And again, you know, we... I hate, I think, uh, what I've, I've seen, at least in some parts of the country, we sort of go from, okay, free speech, but not free speech for these, right? And then um, hate speech, no hate speech, but what is hate speech? Even though it's protected by the Constitution, uh, if Luke defines hate speech the way he wants to define hate speech, then he says that to him is hate speech. And so then uh, we have, you know, 23% of college students in a, in a survey said, Violence is justifiable to stop hate speech. So if, if you define what I'm saying as hate speech and you think I'm doing violence verbally against someone, you can use physical violence to stop me. Then we've moved from that to uh, silence is violence, right? Particularly with the tragedies of, of George Floyd, white silence is violence. Well, um, the, the people who say those things, are they moving us away from violence or towards violence? Interesting. And I'm concerned there are other people much smarter than me that say if you look at the United States pre-Civil War before we took up arms against each other, there are very frightening similarities to where we are now. It's not just that, like, for instance, in the 80s, Tip mm. O'Neill was the Speaker of the House and he didn't like Ronald Reagan, but they got along. And maybe afterwards they went and had a drink together or something. Or who were the justices? Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. Complete opposites. Yeah. But the, the two married couples would go on vacations and cruises together. and What? Unheard of. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't. Now it's just like if you disagree, I have to destroy you. I have to cancel you. Everybody has to hate you like I hate you. And your voice needs to be silenced. Yeah, we've somehow gotten away from the fact that for progress to be made, 
at least good progress, the conversations just have to happen rather than separating yourself from the people that disagree with you and just letting things boil. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff boiling, and that's what's, <laughs> that's what's uh, is frightening. I mean, if there's nothing left to do after we've disagreed um, other than silence that other person, that, you know, you end up with, uh, I forgot what the congresswoman's name was, calling for the great divorce. Uh, you've got uh, James Carville talking about Republicans being white trash. And as the rhetoric just keeps ratcheting up, you know, um, who's going to come in? And every, every politician promises to do it. Everybody's going to come in and heal the community. But the question is, do they? And I don't think any one person can do that. I think it it starts with a change of heart towards other people um, so that I'm not seeing you in all the ways you and I are different, um, whether it's skin color and gender and political views and religious views. I'm, I'm going to see you as a human being, the human race, right? Change. And I'm going to treat you with the sort of respect that I think you deserve because you're not a tree. I mean, you're a human being created in the image of God. So. The change in mentality, I guess, and the change in, in willingness to... The kinds of conversations we have and the communication we have. And like you said uh, earlier in, in your classes, like early on, students tend to like maybe be more shy to mm-hmm. be vocal. But yeah. once maybe they get a change in mentality, they see how, how you want the class to be. And they see how they can have their voices be heard. And if people disagree, that's okay. And fostering that environment. Yeah. That's that's awesome. (laughs) Especially if they disagree with me and I say, what's, you know, it's a good point. (laughs) You like blow up at them and tell them they're wrong for all these reasons. And no. And uh, one last question before we wrap things up. Is there anything students don't know about you that you'd like to share? (laughs) Other than what we have already discussed. Yeah, uh, well, I'm I'm no rare object of valuable price, so I don't know. I don't think there's probably anything interesting about me that they don't already know. Many people do wonder if if Buddy is my real name, and and I usually say, is that not a good name? <laughs> a real name? Should I be mad at my parents? And then they feel really bad, and I say, no, I'm just I'm just joking. Um, no, I'm just a, a fallible human being. Uh, yeah, I love what I do, and, and, and I love the people that I get to do it with, and uh, I like to get to get to know them. So. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Thank y'all. Howdy. My, my uh, pleasure. One last thing we wanted to tell you is, let's, let's go, go. Hokies! <laughs> <laughs>